Welcome to American Education FM, everybody. I'm Dr. Sean Brooks. Hi, everybody. Welcome back. Okay. First of all, quick question. Who out there on their 2024 bingo card had ripping down the walls of a Jewish synagogue to only find mysterious tunnels, which included blood-stained child mattresses, along with at least, oh, I don't know, 10-plus rabbis and Jews being arrested by NYPD officers in Brooklyn, New York, at the 770 synagogue. Did anybody have that on their 2024 bingo card? I have to tell you, this is absolutely disgusting. And frankly, it shouldn't shock anybody. I mean, this is not even a snowflake on the tip of the iceberg here. But before I get into this story, which occurred on Monday night, I want to just make this blanket comment right out, right out front here. This right here is a nice opportunity to remember something from the past that we have to pay attention to in moments like this. Pay attention to who does not bring this up. Pay attention to all of those quote-unquote Zionists and all of those quote-unquote supporters of Israel on Gab, Twitter, sorry, X, whatever. All of these outlets, all these pseudo-news outlets like the old Gateway Pundit. See how many of them run with this actual story and actually even bring this up or do they just sweep it under the rug? What about the Daily Wire? Are they going to talk about this? Probably not. So this is from Information Liberation, and I highly recommend bouncing over there and checking this out. And again, there are endless videos with this too, which I have to tell you are beyond disgusting. But it's titled this, Riot Erupts at Shabad Lubavitch Headquarters After NYPD Moved to Seal Secret Tunnel Discovered Under Building. Again, this is from January 8th. Uh, I'm just going to tell you what I'm going to do. I'm gonna, there's endless videos here from X, all kinds of information. Again, this is the 770 Synagogue in Brooklyn, if I'm not mistaken. And uh, it even shows footage again of, of Jews climbing out of a tunnel in the hole in the ground, which leads to the outside and then running out into the dead of night. It's beyond suspicious, and again, in this footage from the inside of the uh, inside of the synagogue, they show the walls being ripped down, and then Jews are grabbing these child mattresses that are behind the walls that are again clearly bloodstained, uh, and they are child-sized mattresses. These are not full full-size mattresses. So it's again beyond disgusting. There's another picture here of. A portion of the wall on the outside having been torn down, and there there are Jews on the inside taking their books and putting their books out on the ledge on the street from inside this tunnel. And there's a picture of at least one book here that's covered in blood. It just has blood all over it. So here's the full story. It says from CrownHeights.info, December 22nd, breaking tunnel te- tunnel found burrowed under woman's section of 770, possibly destabilizing the building. It says the Union Street owner who spoke with CrownHeights.info said that they had been hearing suspicious noises at night in their home for a period of time. As the noise continued, a concerned homeowner notified someone 
of the sounds and their suspicion. Around the same time, construction work was underway placing new plumbing near 770. As the work neared completion, a trench was dug to lay a water line, and the surprised workers were shocked to find what appeared to be a tunnel underground, according to a source familiar with the incident. Putting the pieces together, one of the workers in 770 investigated and got the shock of his life when he discovered the tunnel, burrowed from the mikvah on the corner of Union Street and Kingston Avenue. The tunnel allegedly extended from the mikvah under the Kingston Avenue women's section of 770, where it, excite, where it exited rather into the building. While details of the tunnel remain scarce, and with some rumors spreading, it appears that a group of Bakurim began digging around six months ago in an attempt to expand 770. Working at night for an extended period of time, the Bakram, if whatever the hell, I don't know what that is, uh, began digging from the mikvah building and hollowed out a tunnel that sounds eerily similar to those used by Hamas in the Gaza Strip, allegedly. It says the tunnel, while amateurish, managed to extend all the way to 770 where it burrowed under the Kingston Avenue women's section, possibly destabilizing. Shocked and horrified at what was found, the 770 Gaboyum made the decision to close off the now possibly unsafe women's section to the public as decisions are made on how to secure the building. Chaos is reigning in 770 after the powers that be attempted to seal the tunnel under 770, leading to widespread vandalism inside the building. Since the incident began this afternoon as the powers that be arranged for cement trucks to come to the 770 and begin filling in the tunnel, based on Union Street, the trucks began pumping the cement into the tunnel where they were forced to stop as the, as the Bakram began disconnecting and hosing, the vandalizing, hosing and vandalizing the trucks, it says. The chaos spread from there. The police were called to the scene to protect the work, so the Bakram, Bakram, I don't know, uh, took their vandalism inside and began ripping off the walls of downstairs 770, exposing the tunnel and showing the extent of the illegal and dangerous work done. See, I don't think they're outing themselves. I think they're probably just trying to cover up what they were actually doing. It says an update from 10.20 p.m. At present, the scene outside 770 remains active and chaotic with news vans arriving to cover the story. Inside the shoal of 770 has been cleared of all non-emergency personnel and efforts are underway to repair some of the damage done. They vandalized their own building. I mean, they were ripping off the walls of their, of their own building. Uh, you, they just <laughs> they went delirious. I mean, they just went chaotic. It says, as of now, the 770 downstairs shoal will remain closed and off-limits until the announcement is made otherwise by the shoal. Nothing to see here, folks. It's all perfectly normal, unquote. I have to tell you, this is beyond gross. This is beyond gross. You talk about a racket, and you talk about potentially being able to use the RICO statute. I, I have to tell you, this is beyond disgusting. The, the image alone of a child mattress with what is evidently bloodstains on it in a very specified location of the mattress being pulled out from the walls 
of this synagogue and then sort of, kept, you know, almost saved. It was almost like they were trying to protect it in some way. Uh, this is just beyond disgusting. But I'm telling you, this is biblical stuff. It just, it's biblical. I'm almost speechless. This is, this is a big, big deal. This is being exposed now the way that endless people don't want it to be exposed, as we know. Certainly they don't want it to be exposed. And I'm telling you, this is another perfect example and another test that everybody should, should slow down and pause and just pay attention to who does not bring this up. Who isn't bringing this up? Those are the individuals that are covering for themselves, covering for these satanic Jews, covering for child trafficking, covering for all of it. I'm telling you, this is amazing stuff. And this isn't going to be the only one of these that occurs like this. Guaranteed. Guaranteed. Again, this is a snowflake on the tip of the iceberg. Once you kick this ball down the hill, it's game on. And it better be game on, because with every single one of these exposures, they're just going to continue to out themselves as being the synagogue of Satan, and it really is going to be remarkable. Uh, wow. Okay. With that said, let me move to this. Same story. This was on the Chan boards. I came across this. Uh, let me read this. This was from January 9th of 2024 here. There's a couple of posts. And it begins by saying this. It says, any New York Anon wants to get there and find the evidence. Said you would unironically never come back. Was homeless for 10 years in NYC. Had a friend who disappeared this way. There's a bridge with an entrance underneath hidden with a false wall. Never saw him again. Unironically, do not look for these tunnels if you value your life. The next post says, the heart of Central Park, not too far off from the lake. Find a winding road and you'll come across an overpass bridge. Look under there. You'll find some stones that do not match the old ones. Pry them, but trust me, if you enter, you will not come back. The entirety of NYC has a maze of tunnels underneath, from old abandoned subway tunnels to amateur built ones like these. You see some shit when you're homeless in this city for a decade, but even I wouldn't dare to fuck with the kite tunnels, they said. They said, also don't fall for this PR video. The cops are cahoots with them. They would regularly take kids from Ward's Island, a secluded island with one bus route that runs every hour, with the promise of taking them to a temporary shelter apartment. The ones who caught the kike's attention would be trafficked through these tunnels. Then another post, again from the same person, says, yeah, he was more adventurous than me. He had seen it a day prior. He went back to check them out, but I got an off vibe from those tunnels, so never went. He's talking about his friend that he lost, I guess. He says, our usual meetup spot would be at a small pizzeria near Midtown Comics. I waited the next day, nothing. Went to the park in the same spot. Stones had been completely patched over with new ones. Was shooed away by cops after standing there for like an hour. Never saw him again. There's entire ghost tunnel lines that the kikes in NYC use when you're homeless and try to, try to sleep in some of them to avoid the cold. A lot of them times 
you would see Yids having access to the tunnel doors. Once they saw you, you would get a squad of cops come clear you out in ten minutes flat. This city is evil, Anon. Unquote. And then they actually took a picture of the bridge. And, uh, yeah. There it is. It's a stone bridge. It has a giant archway where, you, of course, you can walk through it. And this is the bridge that they're referring to where there's a tunnel attached to this particular bridge. It's certainly wide enough to have a tunnel attached to it, certainly through it, and rocks on both sides, uh, and hills on both sides. But wow, absolutely disgusting. Of course, we are aware of the tunnels in New York City. I, I recall that even back in 2020. Um, around election time, if memory serves, there were a lot of posts, again, saying that that's exactly what was going on with those tents in Central Park, that they weren't, they weren't for quote-unquote COVID cases, but they were actually military there and that they were working their way through these tunnels to pull children out. That was the, uh, that was the prevailing rumor back then. And given this and this revelation now, I have no doubt that that's what they were doing. No doubt. And they should fill them all in with concrete. They should find every single one of these tunnels and, uh, and again, liberate them, first of all, which I'm certain has been happening across the world, certainly throughout the last four-plus years, if not longer than that. But, uh, yeah, ladies and gentlemen, again, this is, this is a snowflake on, on the tip of the iceberg here. This is going to get worse with time, and it's going gonna, it's gonna to be unavoidable. But, as I said earlier, Keep in mind who does not bring this up. Who's not talking about this? That's going to continue to be a massive story, and those people are going to reveal themselves more than I'm sure than they already have. But beyond disgusting. Okay, let me move to this now. This is interesting, and again, I, I projected this uh, accurately, which was good, I think. And, uh, and all kudos goes to Josiah Richwine for sending this my way. He told me about an acquaintance of his named Morgan Ariel. And Morgan Ariel owns her own clothing company. And uh, she's a young gal, New York accent, so I assume she's from around there. And she, uh, let's see, she was on Stu Peters and has been on Stu Peters before. And... Basically, Josiah sent me this, and he said that she just got terminated from TPUSA, Turning Point USA, as apparently one of their ambassadors. Now, why she would be an ambassador for Turning Point USA is kind of beyond me. But either way, here was apparently the tweet that she tweeted out that, that did it. She tweeted out a few days back, quote, The Zionist Jews controlling our planet are all pedophiles who have no regard for the sanctity of human life and purity. Read the Talmud and it will make more sense, unquote. And then she ended up tweeting out later, I was just removed as an ambassador from TPUSA for exercising my First Amendment right and upholding biblical, biblical rather, principles. More to come, unquote. She then posted the text message that apparently she received from someone at Turning Point USA where they said, quote, Morgan, we've tried to reach out to discuss some of your recent commentary. We 100% believe you have the right to express yourself as you see fit, but what you are expressing is is further and further out of sync 
with the values of the organization. Please consider this notice that you have been removed from TPUSA's Volunteer Ambassador Program, and as such, we respectfully ask you to remove TPUSA from your bio. We wish you the best, unquote. This was on the 4th of January. Again, Josiah Richwine sent this to me last week, and I texted him back, and I said, she's got, I, I, you know, I bet she shows up on Stu Peters' show and, and talks about this and brings, brings this up. Well, sure enough, this past Monday, she did that, and they had an interesting discussion about the whole thing, and again, it, it shouldn't surprise anybody who listens to this show because I've been over these people before. Turning Point USA is a Zionist organization. Don't let anybody tell you otherwise. Charlie Kirk is a Zionist. You can't have someone like a Charlie Kirk show up out of nowhere, all of the sudden have this money, all of the sudden find his way onto a stage, stick his chest out and act like his backside doesn't stink, uh, uh, you know, allegedly run this company, which let's face it, he doesn't. It's an Israeli-owned, Jewish-owned company. It has to be. They put the star of Remfan over numerous posters of theirs within their own conferences that we're a Judeo-Christian nation and blah, blah, blah. I'm glad that Morgan Ariel's figured this out. You know, th- the question I have is, is what did she have figured out earlier? And why, why would she want to associate all of a sudden with such an organization if she knew that they were, you know, not on the up and up? And again, she brings that up in the Stu Peters show. She says, look, if, if I was anybody out there, in particular someone young, I wouldn't associate with any organization whatsoever. And again, you've heard me bring this up too, as have, I'm sure, numerous individuals. When you make associations with these organizations and all of a sudden an organization does something that is not good or certainly in a bad light, or I would even say that they've been doing something that's rather nefarious from the very beginning and from their inception, and it's just become aware to you that this is actually who they are, then, of, I mean, of course you have to disassociate immediately. You know, when, I mean, let me take the education business, for example. One of the things that they always used to tell educators, certainly back in my day and decades and decades before, is that the more that you associate with education organizations, the better it looks on your resume. This is one of the things that, you know, they just tell you. When you're in college at the university level and you're learning how to become a teacher, that you need to be members of these associations. Uh, again, I remember hearing that and thinking to myself, well, that's odd because why would I want to be a member of something and associate with a group of people when I don't know what that group of people is doing? Why would I just blindly put their association on my resume as if I had any affiliation with them? So it's not that I didn't do that. I mean, I would use the name to try to bring some kind of clout, you know, on my on my own resume at the time. But ultimately, I ended up removing myself from every organization and not affiliating with anybody because, again, well, I mean, look at the state of education now. Not only is everybody aligned in all of the wrong ways, but everybody's outed themselves as essentially being communist organizations. They're all the same. And how dare you criticize this organization because then this organization over here, a completely different one, will criticize you for criticizing that other organization. So it's again, it's the illusion of choice. It's the illusion of individuality when in fact they're all in it together and they all have an agenda 
And they're all profiting from that agenda and that same agenda, and they just continue to barrel forward no matter what. But again, look at the entire education industry as it sits now. It's just like the National Educators Association, the NEA. I was never a part of that. I was never associated with that whatsoever. But look at all the people who are. They all show up. They wear the same t-shirts. They do whatever the union leaders tell them. There is whacked out as you could possibly imagine. There's far left as you could possibly imagine. They're Marxists. I mean, these are the people that have the rainbow flags and the Antifa flags waving inside of their classrooms. These were the mask-wearing, jab-taking, Black Lives Matter-to-the-bone people. Again, guilt by association is a real thing, and it should be. It, it, it really should be. But again, in Mor- Morgan Ariel's case, I mean, she's a God-loving human being, and, and God bless her for figuring this out, but, you know, welcome to the party. I mean, we had these people figured out an awfully long time ago. I remember when Charlie Kirk first showed up on the scene, I thought to myself, this kid's green behind the ears. He's, he's still, uh, you know, he's still soft. I still think he's soft. But even so, where, where did this guy come from? There are many things, again, that are being revealed. And, and I would just invite people to remember that that right there is one of those signs and sort of one of those cards in your deck of cards in the, in the game of life here that really has to be pulled and you have to examine every single time that something like this occurs is, again, not only where did, where did the individual come from, but what is the individual saying? About these kinds of, uh, uh, you know, about these kinds of events. I mean, wh- where's Charlie Kirk in this entire discussion regarding Morgan Ariel, and where's Charlie Kirk uh, when it comes to this entire discussion about, you know, a Jewish synagogue being being torn apart by their own, only to discover a giant hidden tunnel with uh, blood-soaked child mattresses? Is he going to comment on that? How about Steve Bannon? Is he going to comment on that? How about, how about anybody in Congress? Are they going to bring that up? Or is bringing it up anti-Semitic? When it's on film, a real thing, and you can see it. Again, I wouldn't hold my breath when it comes to Charlie Kirk apologizing for anything. Certainly not his associations, along with endless other individuals. And again, you know, when you live in a glass house, you can't throw stones. And these people are throwing stones like nobody's business. And they're doing it buck naked too. And everybody can see them for who they are because, again, we have to pay attention to what they are not bringing up. What are they not talking about? And if they do bring it up casually, why aren't they diving a little bit deeper the way that they dive into other things? Again, election fraud is always their, their go-to. That's their safe space. Well, something's happening with Jews over here. Well, we can't talk about that, so let's go back to election fraud. Let's bring up 2020. Let's reference Trump one more time. They have their safe spaces. They do, but they're also controlled. All of them. Beyond gross. Again, if they were objective, they would be bringing up all of this. They would be bringing up, rather, the Con Inc. associations that exist, too. They would be bringing up the apex of the world. They would be bringing up all of these organizations that seek to destroy the United States of America any Christian, regardless of your race, and then more specifically, white people. But they don't do that. So there you go. I mean, I applaud her for leaving again. Good for her. I knew that she would be on Stu Peters. I knew that that was going to be an immediate thing. And, uh, and it turned out to be. So there you go. TPUSA, ladies and gentlemen, more con ink for you. And there you have it. Okay, there was this too. 
And this is frightening. A couple of things are actually frightening here regarding Australia and what's continuing to happen there. Uh, it is official now that if you make a Roman salute in Australia, that you can receive up to 12 years in prison. Not kidding. That's a, that's a thing. How long has that, I'm sorry, uh, violent, or even five years, it says. But I've seen others that say 12 years, so it's, it's hard to tell. Could be five to 12. I suppose it depends on the judge. Petting a dog, as the meme says, which is absolutely hilarious. I'll put it in a, in a war video if I haven't already put it out on Gab, but it has a, a person's hand raising up, up and down in the air. Petting a dog is okay. Petting a child is okay. Waving to someone is okay, but if you, if you raise your hand at just a particular angle, you'll receive 12 years in prison. It's, it's just nuts. Again, you want to find out who rules over you, figure out who you're not allowed to criticize. This is from a Eugene T. PhD on, uh, on X. And it says the following here regarding Australia and even some more uh, draconian laws and totalitarian laws that they have coming down the pipeline here in their legislation. It says, quote, five years prison for accessing violent extremist material online unless you're a Fed or journalist. It says the new prohibited hate symbols and other measures amendment to counter-terrorism legislation has outlawed the mere access of so-called violent extremism material online. Now keep in mind, it's not violent nor extreme, not to mention who gets to define that. Of course, in this case, it's government. It's their government. And if they think that a meme is offensive, well, off to jail for you. If you're looking up a particular subject, even if you're an independent journalist, again, it shouldn't matter who you are, information's information, but could be off to jail for you too. They continued, they said, this would seem to apply to everything from PDF books, the ordering of books online, and even the storage of memes that could be construed as promoting violent extremist content, quote unquote. The irony is that the only exceptions for such possession are for those engaged in law enforcement activity and journalistic activity or activity of a private individual assisting law enforcement. So the law itself is designed to be abused by police and journalists collaborating together to entrap private citizens. This offense carries a five-year sentence, retweet. They said material, it says here, quote, material is, so is also rather violent extremist material if it is reasonable to consider, and they have reasonable in quotes, to consider the material together with other material, and were all of the material to be taken to be a single item of material, it would constitute violent extremist material, unquote. So they can arbitrarily pair unrelated items together to argue that they are violent extremist material, quote unquote. He goes on here, and he says, so... Would possessing a book in defense of nationalism, and then separately a historic photo of some military unit, be able to be considered together as promoting ideology of violence and violent acts? It says the, the law, rather, was largely the culmination of relentless campaigning from the chairman of the Anti-Defamation Commission, Jewish, a 
Devir Abramovich is apparently their name. And then it says, in Parliament, promotion of the bill was championed by Attorney General Mark Dreyfus, also Jewish. Furthermore, just posting a photo that features a swastika online is now punishable by 12 months imprisonment. My apologies, I think I said 12 years earlier, it's 12 months. Either way, terrible. It says, retweet this important information and deceptive attack on patriots. Uh, he wraps up here and he says, the bill had bipartisan support and the level of, of absurdity is such that they exempted the ISIS flag from banned symbols for the Muslim community. Islamic terrorist symbols are okay, but pro-white symbols aren't. Share far and wide, Australia is under tyrannical control, unquote. No kidding. In fact, there's this video that's bouncing around too. It's from a Rebel News, uh, a Rebel News journalist who, again, Rebel News is, is, is Jewish-owned also. But even so, in Canada, they walked up to one of Trudeau's uh, henchmen. This, this would be the female. My apologies on, on forgetting her name, but she's the one who I think is one of the health secretaries or something along those lines. You'd recognize her if you saw her. She's the one who shakes kind of uncontrollably and looks like a lunatic, a little short gal. Either way, uh, the, the Rebel News journalist is, walks up to her and one of her colleagues as they're walking on a sidewalk, and he starts to ask her questions. And he's got the microphone in, his, you know, in her face, and, he, and he's walking alongside them. And he's not, he's not looking to see where they're walking. He's, he's looking at her as he's walking. A police officer, a Canadian police officer, then jumps in front of him and stands in front of him. And so the journalist bumps into the police officer, and they basically just like touch wrists. That's all that happens. And before you know it, the journalist is arrested for assaulting a police officer. They have the whole thing on film. They have the whole thing recorded. It's, it's right there. You can see it crystal clear. They actually arrest the guy, allegedly. Again, assuming that it's not some scripted scene that they're doing this to just scare the masses. But even so, they allegedly arrested the guy. And he said, again, over and over to this journalist's face, he goes, you're being arrested for assaulting a police officer. And he goes, I didn't assault you. You just stood in front of me, and I didn't see you, and I bumped into you, and you intentionally bumped into me. So what are you talking about? I mean, again, how much more are people going to be able to take regarding all of this? How much more can they possibly take? These individuals get to walk around like they own the place. And they, of course, have the protection of the police no matter where they go. These are the criminals. The politicians in the government are the criminals. If the police are consistently protecting the criminals, then what are they going to do to us? They're not going to protect us. They're not here to protect and serve us. You know, I, I thought about this the other day. You know, we remember seeing all of those videos back during the mask wearing COVID lie and all that nonsense of the occasional police officer getting inside of their squad car and then recording themselves talking about the way that they were witnessing other police officers, you know, engage in tyrannical tactics against citizens and enforce the mask wearing and choke people for not wearing masks and a thousand other things and fining businesses and, you know, uh, disrupting businesses because people were, were freely gathering in open spaces and a thousand other things. 
every now and again, you would get a police officer who would say something like, look, I'm ex-military. I became a police officer. I've taken, I've taken the oath uh, to serve and protect. I've taken you know, all kinds of oaths, hopefully not a Freemasonic oath, but either way. These particular individuals sort of stood out from the rest as being better than the rest in that profession. And I remember those videos, and I remember some of those police officers. And I even remember the ones, again, who were fired for making those videos and for putting that information out to the public to warn the public. See, that right there should also tell you that, yes, there are some good individuals that work within those professions, but clearly, the higher-ups are order followers. The higher-ups are disciplining their own and taking out their own in the interest of sending the message to the public and even, of course, the individuals still within those organizations in those lines of work, law enforcement, quote-unquote, that if you do such a thing and you tell, you tell the truth, in particular, again, that you're going to uh, protect and serve individuals, against all enemies, foreign and domestic, and, and stand up for your rights and stand up for the rights of others, that you're going to lose your job. We're going to single you out, we'll ostracize you, and not only will you lose your job here, but you're not going to get a job anywhere else. This is remarkably problematic for a million reasons. And these individuals, again, the higher-ups, they are the problem. And if it's the majority of the, of the squads, so to speak, and, and these departments that are going along with it, well, then the majority is the problem too. And that certainly seems to be the case. There wasn't a single one of those Canadian police officers, not one, who, who, who stood in in the middle of all of it, broke the two individuals apart, broke, you know, took, the, took the police officer who intentionally ran into the journalist and intentionally stood in front of him so that the journalist would bump into him. He didn't push him aside and say, he's not being arrested. I mean, there was no dissent in the ranks there. It was everybody is on the same side against this journalist, no matter their rank, no matter what's going on. And that was it. And then in the squad car, he went with cuffs behind his back. Not a single person in that group. And there were at least half a dozen police officers there, at least. Not one of them intervened in, 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 a, in a proper common sense way. Not one of them got in the face of the police officer and said, what the F are you doing? You bumped into him. Everybody saw it. Shut the F up. Get the F out of here. I mean, it didn't happen. None of that happened. So again, who is going to stand up to this kind of tyranny you know, at the exact moment when it happens? the absolute instant that it occurs. This is what we have to see more often. This is what has to happen more often. Or I'm telling you, something's going to pop off here. Because here we are, ladies and gentlemen, 10 days into January of 2024, and all hell's breaking loose. Certainly if you're paying attention to what's happening. If you're on the right internet boards, if you're on the right communication outlets, if you're communicating with your family and your friends who are awake, as to what's happening? When has it been this intense over the course of just over a week? Ever. I mean, this is, this is wild stuff. And it's, again, it's almost like we're back to the 2020 mentality of things. So, I don't know. 
this is going to get crazier. It's going to get crazier. It's freezing cold outside. Everybody's losing their minds. People have cabin fever, <laughs> you know, and I'm telling you, it's just, it's just going to get wild. It's just going to keep getting wild, but we just have to keep exposing this. And at the same time, we have to keep warning people. Look, you know, we're back in this situation all over again. These people aren't going to quit. They're just not going to stop. Again, right now, they're hitting everybody with about as many psychological operations as you could possibly imagine. So let me give you a couple more examples. Of course, first of all, and this is very real, you have more of the Epstein revelations coming out where you've got Richard Branson, Prince Andrew, and of course, Bill Clinton, all associated with one another, with a threat of actual tapes of them having sex with children potentially being released or certainly being threatened, or at the very least, of course, factually being brought up in court depositions. This is kind of a big deal, is it not? Shouldn't you arrest these people? I mean, these are court documents about individuals now engaging in sex with minors. So you should detain them, at the very least, question them, if that means you let them go for a little bit of time, so be it. Continue to build your case, which has to already exist. You have to have the evidence of this. And then you arrest these people. These are individuals who have been called out in, in court legal documents as being pedophiles and rapists. And they're still walking around like it's no big deal. Now, yeah, I know the court system and law enforcement is corrupt. I fully get it. But I'm simply saying that Every single time that one of these revelations comes out, they throw more and more psychological operations and distractions at people. Case in point, NASA decided to shoot off some rocket claiming that it was going to the moon. Now, you can't land on the moon. It's impossible. We've never landed on the moon. It's completely impossible. The whole thing was staged. The whole thing was fake. Anybody with a brain in their skull who's not completely brainwashed fully understands this. So much so, in fact, that when they shot that rocket off, they were like, whoops, we've lost communication with it, and now we're unsure as to what's exactly happening, and it seems like there's been some malfunction. And isn't it funny that they never show the full footage of the actual rocket itself actually leaving anything, because you can't leave Earth. It's an enclosed space. So they never want to show the footage now of the rocket leveling off and being level with the ground below it. They don't even show that. They're just like, look, here's it taking off, and here's it flying through the sky. Okay, that's it. End of story. We're going to go land on the moon now. And now no one's talking about it anymore. That leads me, actually, into the, Ohio into the Iowa fake shooting. Same thing. We're now into education here, but again, the Iowa fake shooting is a perfect example. They bring it up. It's, it makes the rounds for a day, and then it's gone. Just like that. No one's talking about it anymore. Let me read through this, and I have, a, I have a, a pretty good deal to bring up regarding this particular story here, but this is from NBC. And get a load of this. I mean, it's in their title. The absurdity of the event is in their title. Keep in mind, this happened in a high school, allegedly. I don't think it happened at all. The evidence is pretty crystal clear that that's the case, but they're saying that this happened in a high school. Here's the NBC title, and this was from 
Let me get you a date here. January 5th. It says sixth grader killed in Iowa school shooting is identified as details emerge about hero principal. Why is a sixth grader in the high school? When the middle school and the high school start at the same time, and they both start at 7.55 in the morning. Seems rather odd, does it not? And then what they do in this story is they paint the principal, allegedly, this Dan Marburger, as being the jolly giant and the the guy who would always run into a burning building. And he distracted the shooter and was shot three times and uh, suffered wounds and is still in the hospital. And, you know, that's just dad, quote unquote, says, says the so-called principal's daughter, that this is exactly who he is and this is exactly what he would do. What does this sound like? It sounds like Nashville all over again, doesn't it? Only in this particular case, it's a school principal who's been shot, but we don't have any surveillance footage of this. We have no footage of this so-called shooter shooting anybody inside of this school. Strange. Isn't that odd? Security cameras are running all of the time inside schools. Why don't we have a single second of it? Is is this footage going to drip out with time? Are we going to see this eventually once they sort of do it on a day off and mock things up a particular way to make it look like somebody was actually shot when, in fact, they weren't? Again, remember in the Nashville shooting, it was the same kind of thing. The hero principal, this elderly female, wrestled with the, with the transsexual until ultimately she was overcome by the transsexual's strength and she was knocked to the ground and shot. They battled it out like... Spock and Kirk in Star Trek, as much as they could as the music played, and then she was just overridden by the tranny's strength and shot to death with an AR-15. Certainly seems like we would have that footage, doesn't it? Certainly seems like that transsexual would be covered in blood if they had actually shot somebody at point-blank range. But that didn't happen, because it didn't happen. Now, before I get into this NBC story, I have to mention this, and this was remarkably disappointing also. Stu Peters is not learning. He's really not learning, and he's not learning on this subject. I'm glad he's gone full bore on the synagogue of Satan. Congratulations. But please, Stu, for the love of God, listen to this show at least once and understand that these school shootings, by and large, are fake. They don't happen. The other night, same night as Morgan Ariel was on, on Monday night's episode of The Stu Peters Show, he had on this no-name nobody who comes on and goes, oh, this shooting in Iowa was an absolute tragedy. Notice all the trannies that keep doing all these shootings and XYZ, and isn't it horrible? And then they did the same thing that all the unknowledgeable people do, is they put all of their emotions out on the table, and they use that to justify their anger and their stance on the issue. The guy that he had on basically goes on this run. He goes, you know, I I have a fifth grade. I have a fifth grade child. This terrifies me. And this alleged shooter also had uh, an IED explosive device in his bag that he was also going to 
release onto the student population and kill as many as he possibly could. Where's the proof of that? Where's the proof? Is there a picture of an IED? Where did the picture come from? How do we know any of this is true? Just because some rando decides to say it on Stu Peters' show doesn't make it true. And Stu doesn't question the guy. Because what does Stu do then? Well, he goes on a run about how he, he has a son who's in sixth grade. And this just terrifies me. We're sending our children to these environments where anything can happen and blah, blah, blah. Well, I thought, I thought Stu Peters was the homeschool advocate also. I've also heard him say, look, not everybody can homeschool. Not everybody has the means. Not everybody can do this, do that. If you're so afraid of your child's safety within a school building, what are you waiting for then? But again, the guest he had on had no specifics. What continues to be disappointing also is that Stu Peters is an ex-bounty hunter. So if he's an ex-bounty hunter, you would think that he would want to put together these things called clues. And that he would think to himself, you know what? I haven't seen a single drop of blood. I haven't seen a single body. All I've seen are these mainstream media outlets tell me what I'm actually believing. So does that mean that all of a sudden everybody believes NBC now again? Do you see the reversal? And, and how quick it is for people to just jump right back into the matrix in an instant? It's so disappointing. And they don't even hear themselves talk about it. They're not consistently questioning anything. Why is there no f security footage of this? Was there a resource officer? I have more questions. They go, uh, they go something like this. How about the doctors and the nurses? Why are we not interviewing them in this little Iowa town? Where are they? Where are they to be found? How about other staff members? Are we not talking to them? What was it like on that fateful day when that Dylan guy showed up and, you know, started shooting at people and then that jolly giant of a, of a principal saved endless lives while there was an, also an IED in the kid's bag? I mean, are, are we not going to ask staff members any of these questions? Do these people not exist? What about the parents of the so-called victims? What about the parents of the so-called non-victims who weren't shot or injured in this case? Are we not talking to them? Is it hands-off for everybody involved here? Everybody's dead, flipping quiet on it. Hello? It can't get clearer it didn't happen, and that there's more going on here than what meets the eye. People have got to stop buying into this. You're being lied to. You're being psychologically manipulated. You're being abused because it's gaslighting. No specifics, nothing. How about students? Where are the students? It's a flipping high school. It's a high school. Aren't students on social media? Don't they have cell phones? Do we not have any cell phone footage of this? We had David Hogg talking about it as it was happening. Over there in the old Parkland School in South Florida, right? Remember that? David Hogg was on his phone going, so uh, we're in lockdown. Uh, apparently there's been a shooting, and uh, what do you think about this? He's actually interviewing students because, let's face it, he was a Fed back then. He's a Fed now. His dad was a Fed. 
But why do we not have any students talking about this on social media? Students who are actually there, not fake accounts, but actual students who are actually there. Why is there no cell phone footage of this? Honest to God, a law enforcement individual or former, as Stu Peters claims to be, you would think he would say, I haven't seen any bodies. I haven't seen any blood. All I've seen is mainstream media outlets write about this in the blink of an eye, and then all of a sudden it's dead and gone. It's a script, and it's a bad one. Because endless policies were not followed clearly. There was no communication policy that was followed that is standard in every American K-12 school across the nation. And now let me get into the actual NBC story here, because this is beyond laughable and completely ridiculous. It says, the day after the school shooting rocked a small Iowa community, more details are emerging, including the identity of the sixth grade student who was killed at Perry High School. So a sixth grader was killed. Remember the previous audio in the previous episode where the cop said he didn't know who was dead and who wasn't? I'm not talking about that right now. I have a bigger question. Why is a sixth grader in a high school? It says officials on Friday also said that more people were injured than previously reported. How would you not know that? How would you not know the body count five hours after it happened? You would know everything. (laughs) You would know everything. You would know what they like to eat on a Saturday evening. I mean, you would have every flippin' detail. It says, in total, seven people were hurt in Thursday morning's shooting, the Iowa Department of Public Safety said. This is up two from the previous count of five. Did you just lose the two? Did you forget about them? It says, Amir Joliffe, 11, was killed by three gunshot wounds and his manner of death was ruled a homicide by the Iowa State Medical Examiner officials said. Where's a picture of this person? How about a picture of them bleeding? Do we have that? Perry High School Principal Dan Marburger was among the three staff members and four students who were injured when a 17-year-old student opened fire. The gunman, identified as Dylan Butler, died from self-inflicted gunsh- a self-inflicted rather gunshot wound, officials said. So let me get this straight, too. And by the way, I understand if you've turned the episode off by now and you, and you don't like me going through this, this fake school shooting, but I'm telling you, no one else is doing this. And that bothers me. That's a problem. It's a big problem. But I'm going through this with a fine-tooth comb Not because you have to, it's rather obvious it didn't happen, but it's the blatant inconsistencies here that are incredible. So ask yourself this question then too. You're Dylan Butler, right? You go into a school building. We're following their story just for the sake of argument. You go into a school building, you have a shotgun and a pistol. A shotgun and a pistol and a duffel bag. Because I saw a picture, and it looked like it was a blue duffel bag. So you can't sling a duffel bag over both of your arms like a backpack. You're carrying it. So we are to believe that a shotgun, a pistol, and an IED fit inside of this, I would say, 
three-foot-long, two-foot-long duffel bag. And then this individual proceeded to wound a bunch of people, kill one student, a sixth grader, in a high school, and then turn the gun on himself. The police didn't show up for seven minutes, the sheriff said. A call went out, uh, and we, we got the code that there was a live active shooter in our school, and police showed up seven minutes later. It was 15 minutes before school started, which means the building is filled with people. It's, it's, again, 15 minutes before first period bell rings, which means everybody has to be in class. The vast majority of students in a school building at that time would already be in their classrooms, with some people walking around in the hallways and screwing around and doing what they do. You know, I've worked in schools before. This is what happens. So as a result of all of that, we are to believe that this person who showed up to kill people killed only one who, who didn't even belong in the building, too young to even be there, wounded a bunch of others, and then the principal, this giant fat guy, jumped into action and distracted the shooter to only be shot three times or so to survive. And then, and then what? All of that happened in seven minutes? And then this person decided, well, I've got more ammunition and I could kill more people, which was the thing I came here to do. But instead of that, I'm just going to kill myself. I'm sorry. It doesn't fit anybody's motive if somebody wants a real body count. It just doesn't. Ethan Crumbly walked into a building with a gun in his backpack, was sent back to class, walked down the hallway, pulled out his pistol, and shot at point-blank range four people and killed him dead. Wounded, I think, maybe another, maybe two. But the body, the death count was higher than the wounded. So, again, you're telling me that a guy with an IED can't pull a trigger on a gun? I'm sorry, again, it, it, doesn't, it doesn't fit. None of this fits. It says the principal, Marburger, tried to calm down the shooter and distract him, quote-unquote so students could flee, according to a Facebook post from his daughter, who said he was stable after getting shot. The principal and two other students remained hospitalized, officials said. Marburger, who received multiple gunshot wounds, is in critical condition. The other victims have been treated and released, according to Iowa DPS. Quote, For those of you who have reached out regarding dad, I'm sorry I haven't gotten back to you. Please don't take it personally. It has just been a day for us, for Dad, and for the community. Marburger's daughter, Claire Marburger, wrote, quote, Dad was in surgery all day and is currently stable. And here comes the gentle giant quote. Again, no one says gentle giant. Nobody says that. The media says that. That's a media line. Claire Marburger said that her father is known to be a gentle giant and an amazing dad and just amazing person, unquote. Quote, he does anything for us kids, including driving seven hours round trip on school nights to catch my college games in Decoria or in Decora. 
stayed long enough to slip me a $20 bill, tell me I played well, give me a hug, and head out, she said. It goes on here, and it says, When she heard the news that there was a shooting at the school, Claire Marburg said that instantly she had a feeling that my dad would be a victim as he would put himself in harm's way for the benefit of the kids and his staff, unquote. It is absolutely zero surprise to hear that he tried to approach and talk Dylan down and distract him long enough for some students to get out of the cafeteria, she added. That's just dad, quote unquote. I mean, the story goes on and on and on here. Um, I'm not going to read the rest of the article, not for any particular reason. Um, I just, I just don't buy it. I don't buy it. Uh, Here's what's also very odd. Once you get over to their school's website, their school's website is now nothing but their shooting. It's nothing but their shooting. It's all over the front page of their site. Whereas the day of, there was nothing on there. I found that to be rather odd. Someone's controlling their website clearly. Uh, On the right-hand side, it says mental health services for staff and students. Student Assistant Program, SAP, is free service offered by the blah, blah, blah. Uh, They have it in both Spanish and English. And then on the left-hand side, you have this giant message. And, of course, they're doing the whole strong motto. Blue Jay Strong. This is from January 8th. It says, Good evening, students and parents. As we reflect on the week's, uh, the last week's tragedy, we know the grieving process is real and will continue to impact everyone differently in the days, weeks, and months to come. Now, first of all, before I let me just cut in here real quick. What's interesting is, is apparently they decided to cancel school all this week. And they're also blaming weather as being a part of it. So they're saying, hey, look, you can still show up to the school to get lunch if you want. You can still get food here. Uh, You know, get your food at the crime scene if you want. But uh, we're not going to have any actual school. And we're still going to have practices for sports and things like that. So your coaches will be in communication with you and whatever else. Again, it's, it's beyond hinky. Look, if I'm wrong on this, just prove it to me. That's all. Prove it to me. I want to see bodies. I want to see blood. I need to see see proof. Words on a page, days after the fact, don't cut it for me. Police officers not speaking about it, five hours after it happened, doesn't cut it for me. It just doesn't. I don't trust any of these people. In fact, the the president of the school board, I believe it is a a, uh, a female here. Let me let me get you her name real quick. She put out this very strange video, where she's again saying basically all the stereotypical cliche stuff. You know, it's a time for healing, and we need to heal. Linda Andorf, president of the school board, she puts out this this one minute and thirty eight second video where she's talking, old gal. But she's talking, and the camera is right in front of her, and she's consistently looking to her hard left. She's always looking to her left. Her eyes are always to the left, and then she never once looks into the actual camera itself. She's looking at some teleprompter clearly, and then she's clearly looking at the number of people that are in the room behind or next to the teleprompter. It's also very odd. But anyway, back to the actual website itself, uh, you know, the district's website. The superintendent was, I believe, the one who put out this giant message. 
says, given the importance of staying connected with the school community, a daily message called Blue Jay Strong will be sent out to provide updates on a variety of important topics. Our goal is to share these messages on the district's website through the school messenger system uh, and on the school Facebook pages by 3 p.m. each day moving forward. Today, we are also sharing information regarding the visitation and funeral of Amir Joloff, or Jolif, our friend, classmate, and student. You know, the sixth grader who was in the high school. We grieve with his family and the entire Perry Community School District at the loss of this special young man. As we continue to provide updates, Blue Jay Strong will be an important communication tool for us in a timely fashion, and blah, blah, blah. It says, News for Today, Monday, January 8th. As different announcements on when you can go to the visitation of this dead kid, allegedly. Uh, due to the impending winter weather, students will not be able to pick up personal belongings in any of the buildings tomorrow, Tuesday, as was previously reported over the weekend. Weather permitting, students will be able to retrieve personal belongings from the high school or middle school on Wednesday, January 10th, from 8 a.m. to 3 p.m. So, somebody's in the building. Somebody's working there in order for students to return and pick up their, their backpacks and God knows what else. I'm telling you, the whole thing is beyond suspicious. This is very odd. This would not be the normal standard procedure for something like this. It says childcare is available at the McCreary Community Building free of charge for school-aged children from 6 a.m. to 6 p.m. Food will be provided and blah, blah, blah. More food, more food, more food. It says high school students will not be returning to classes all this week. A final decision on elementary and middle school students will be coming soon. Please watch the school website and social media channels for any other updates and announcements. Uh, yeah, there you go. And then it says happening tomorrow, Tuesday, January 9th. Practices for all extracurricular activities, both middle school and high school, will resume on Tuesday. Given the possibility of winter weather, Changes may be necessary, so please watch for additional announcements regarding this. Thank you for your time, Claire Wicks. I'm sorry, Clark Wicks, Superintendent. Uh, again, it's beyond suspicious to me. It's just beyond suspicious. They didn't even have an alert go out to any parents regarding this five hours after it took place, let alone five minutes after it took place. That's why I don't think this happened, along with, of course, endless other things as I've already brought up. I'm exhausting this, but you get my point. You should wait for people to prove to you it happened with real hard evidence, not people saying things on camera or not saying things on camera, and then again, creating these convoluted stories of a gentle giant principal stood in the way and tried to save these children. I, I'm sorry. I don't buy it. If there was a shooting taking place, that's not the standard procedure. It isn't. Where was the resource officer? They were the person who was supposed to intervene. Why is there no talk of a resource officer? Why do we not see any security footage of this entire scenario playing out whatsoever? Big problem. That's a big red flag. Okay, I'm done with it. Unless, of course, something else comes out in the future that's equally as absurd. But time will tell. Again, we're still waiting for that, uh, for that security footage, are we not, of the school principal of the Nashville school 
wrestling with the tranny, so to speak. Again, absolutely outrageous. All right. This next one. From Red State, more on Harvard here, interim Harvard president makes almost $1 million a year from drug companies in addition to his $946,000 salary. Hmm. His name, of course, is a Dr. Alan M. Garber, who was formerly the uh, school's provost, or still is, but is the interim president, highly Jewish. He's paid around $496,000 a year for his work, but that's only the beginning of his earnings, it says. He made more in 2022 with 936000 more serving as a board member for two major drug companies, Vertex Pharmaceuticals and California-based Exilis, no way I'm getting that right, uh, Incorporated, E-X-E-L-I-X-I-X, Exilix, I guess. Why would it be problematic to have your provost or university president serving as a board member for pharmaceutical companies, you might ask, it says. Remember COVID, when our nation's institutions of higher education went off the deep end and forced young people into isolation, sent students home altogether for Zoom classes, but didn't lower the price, and then ultimately required that they get unproven vaccines to be allowed on campus? I do. It continues here, and it says some are questioning these side hustles. It says the practice of university leaders serving on boards of private and public for-profit companies and earning significant compensation for it is increasingly widespread. But experts on university governance and critics say it can raise a host of conflicts of interest, especially in healthcare industries where academia and industry are often deeply enmeshed. Rather. Carolyn Becker, for example, a retired associate professor of medicine at Harvard Medical School, who wants such gigs to be banned, said the following, quote, to put someone in as president, even in the interim, who has some major conflicts of interest that take him away from his all-encompassing role, they need his full attention focused on the job at hand. She, of course, was publicly flogged and ultimately executed for her terrible anti-Semitic remarks. I'm just kidding. But then it says she noted that the academics could prioritize their fiduciary responsibilities to companies over the well-being of the campus and the students. Uh Uh-huh. Yeah. That's what they've been doing the whole time. Quote, it's such an obvious conflict, especially for people in the medical field, Becker said. No kidding, Captain Obvious. No kidding. Again, new boss, same as the old boss, or new boss, worse than the old boss. They're, they're equally as bad, if not worse, than the Claudine Gay gal. So, I, I don't know what people expect. Harvard is a company. They're a corporation. They're not a university. They're an indoctrination corporation. I went to Harvard. Good for you. No one cares. What a horrible institution. They're responsible for the murders of copious amounts of people. And that Garber guy... The interim president now, if he was the provost during the COVID stuff, he's got blood on his hands. He doesn't care. I bet he doesn't care at all. Just weak. Weak, weak men, weak women, and individuals, again, not critically thinking and taking a stand against what is right because they aren't right. Degenerate people, 
are attracted to degenerate environments and they make the environments that they as degenerate people are in, they make those environments degenerate. That's what it is. I'll tell you what, that leads me to this. And I'm glad that I came across this because I had forgotten about this particular aspect of human beings and it really is important. Um, You've heard me, of course, bring up the business of alpha males and beta males, and alpha females, and beta females, certainly within the business of education, along with numerous other lines of work. There is another well-known, yet less talked about, aspect of, of the human character, I should say, and the human makeup, and it refers to sigma males and sigma females. Let me read this description. Me personally, I would describe myself, I think, as a sigma male. I'm not an alpha male in the sense that I love attention or that I seek the limelight or I need to be on a stage or whatever. I actually don't. All of that makes me uncomfortable. Always has. I've done it before, but, you know, not a fan. Um, Even even so, uh, again, the descriptive of this and the description, rather, of this even even highlights me as as a young person as well. So let's see if it if it, uh, you know, maybe fits your personality also. I have a feeling it will. It says the sigma male versus the sigma female, and this comes from medium.com. What is the difference between the sigma male and the sigma female? We all know about alpha and beta personalities, but the sigma male and sigma female are unique individuals with intriguing characteristics, so let's dive right in. It says understanding sigma males and sigma females. Let's quickly understand what sigma males and sigma females are all about. Both terms originate from the social hierarchy theory, where individuals are classified based on their traits and behavior. Unlike alphas, who are dominant and assertive, and betas, who are followers, sigma individuals stand apart from these traditional roles. And it has a list of bullet points and traits of them. Sigma males, here we go. The first bullet point is independent and introspective. The second one is ambitious, but prefer working alone. The next one is highly self-reliant and adaptable. The next one is possesses strong observational skills. The next one is introverted, but not necessarily shy. The next one says, can be mysterious and hard to read. The next one is, seeks genuine connections over large social circles. Me personally, that's, that's me. There's no doubt about it. I don't know how hard I am to read. I think it depends on certainly the outlet or the uh you know the environment, but all the other aspects certainly certainly fit, no doubt about it. In fact, if you think of alpha individuals, sigma individuals and beta individuals on a spectrum, I'm sure that there are varying varying degrees of each. I I would say there's no doubt about that either. Uh, the next here, it says sigma female traits, confident in their in- independence, rather, confident in their independence, value intellectual and emotional connection, pragmatic and self-sufficient, may display introverted tendencies, not actively seeking attention or validation, selective with their friendships and relationships, and often possess a nurturing and caring nature. Again, very similar to the male aspect, without a doubt. 
But there you have it. Just wanted to bring that to your attention. Again, I know that I've specifically talked about the field of education and other working environments regarding people's characteristics and personality traits and things of that nature. Again, you can't be a Sigma male and a Sigma female in the business of education and actually make it. You typically can't. If you're one that goes along with immoral behavior, then then you're a beta. You're a follower. If you're one that can see the absurdity of the entire thing but isn't necessarily loud about it, you're probably a sigma. But also, even the alpha males can be on the wrong end of the COVID lie, for example, within the education environment because they could have been the ones screaming and shouting at everybody to wear a mask. They're dead wrong about what they were doing, but at the exact same time, they're out front and in front of everybody telling everybody what to do, even though the thing they're telling them to do is completely immoral and no basis in scientific fact whatsoever, and of course, based on a lie because it's a psychological uh, operation that's taking place on everybody. So there you go. I just wanted to bring that to everybody's attention because, again, it's the sigmas in the education field that, that don't make it, male or female. You either have to be a dumb alpha or a following beta in order to make it in this business. That's typically the way that it works. I know that there are exceptions to the rule, and there certainly are. Um, I, I know that there are sigmas within the business that they bob and weave, and they, you know, they try to find, uh, you know, whatever outlet that they can that that satisfies their creativity while also not wanting to be at the center of attention. You know, there, there are numerous individuals out there where that's the case, but I would say in the K twelve business specifically, the sigma is going to have a very hard time. Certainly, I did. That was the case for me. I, I, I didn't, again, want to draw any attention to myself. I did what was right all of the time, and I did so without boasting about it, even though I'm, it sounds like I'm boasting about it now. But I, I certainly didn't at the time, and so much so, in fact, as I even said in a previous episode when I was describing my whistleblowing experience, I didn't tell the people around me what I was doing. You know, I didn't run to the newspaper and say, hey, look at what thing I'm doing. And I certainly didn't go to administration and say, hey, do you want to be a part of this thing I'm doing so we can get some notoriety and public attention? It was quite the opposite. I just wanted to succeed and, and, you know, do the right thing for the sake of doing the right thing. But, you know, that's more of a Sigma style, I think, as opposed to certainly a Beta style or even an Alpha style. But there you go. Okay. With that aside here, jab stuff. Apparently, the Anthony Fauci 14-hour testimony on day one was behind closed doors. Too bad. That's too bad, because I like observing people, and I wanted to see him squirm, and I wanted to see him shake, and I wanted to see him sweat, and I wanted to see what questions he was avoiding and any inconsistencies. It's a little difficult to pick up on that when you're reading a memo from the chairman of the subcommittee that puts together a a one-page summary or a three-paragraph summary here of, of what they thought Anthony Fauci said and how he behaved in this meeting. But let me let me read this nonetheless. This is from again oversight.house.gov, the Committee on Oversight and Accountability. Published on January 8th, Winstrup releases a statement following day one of Dr. Fauci's testimony. Here's what it says. Select Subcommittee on the Coronavirus Pandemic Chairman Brad Winstrup, Republican from Ohio, 
issued the following statement after day one of Dr. Anthony Fauci's two-day, 14-hour transcribed interview. Quote, Dr. Fauci's testimony today uncovered drastic and systemic, rather, failures in America's public health systems. While leading the nation's COVID-19 response and influencing public narratives, he simultaneously had no idea what was happening under his own jurisdiction at NIAID. Dr. Fauci signed off on all domestic and foreign research grants without reviewing the proposals and admitted that he was aware, I'm sorry, unaware, if NIAID conducted oversight of the laboratories they fund. Clearly, the American people and the United States government are operating with completely different expectations about the responsibilities of our public health leaders and the accountability of our public health agencies. Okay, first of all, I'm not done with, their, with his summary yet, but we don't, we don't refer to these people as our leaders. Take me to your leader. Take me to Dr. Anthony Fauci. He will tell me the truth, and so will you know, the CDC and the NIAID. No, we don't refer to, to, to government and government agencies, public, private, or otherwise, as our leaders. So they need to get that that language and that verbiage out of their vernacular. Uh, it's beyond embarrassing, but I suppose the gullible would, would look to these institutions and say, oh, tell us what to do. We trust you. Unbelievable. It continues here. It says, it's also concerning that the face of our nation's response to the world's worst public health crisis. Well, no, COVID's not real. The shots are, though. Quote, does not recall, quote unquote, as I'm sure Fauci said as, as they state here, I don't recall. Key details about COVID-19 origins and pandemic, pandemic rather, era policies. Nearly 1.2 million Americans lost their lives to a potentially preventable pandemic. There was no pandemic. I look forward to asking Dr. Fauci further questions about mandates, his role in prompting the Proximal Origin publication and his policy positions related to masks and lockdowns. Tomorrow's testimony will continue the select subcommittee's effort to deliver the answers Americans demand and deserve. I, hope, I mean, here's a question. Look, before I get into this list of key takeaways from day one, as, as they have bullet pointed here, how about, how about uh, you know, the emails that made their way to Anthony Fauci that were sent to him? Are those going to be presented to him? The ones that I've brought up on the show here, the ones that, that came out a couple of years back, where they basically said, hey, Tone Loke, this looks like, uh, looks like AIDS. It looks like you've got HIV, quote unquote, particles and poisons within these shots. Do you know about this? And he never responds back. I wonder if they share those emails with him. Probably not. Again, it's, it's government. It's the illusion of government oversight. What oversight is this? We know who the bad guys are. Government was involved in this. Government was responsible for this rollout. This is a Department of Defense biological weapon. And now we're relying on Congress and state representatives to have actual accountability or oversight on this? Give me a break. Here are the key takeaways, allegedly, from day one of Dr. Fauci's transcribed interview. And there's only, uh, let's see, six, six key takeaways. 
The first one, Dr. Fauci claimed that he did not recall pertinent COVID-19 information or conversations more than 100 times. The second takeaway, Dr. Fauci profusely defended his previous congressional testimony where he stated NIH does not fund gain-of-function research in Wuhan. Remember the term gain-of-function means finding all kinds of poisons that work together to kill people. That's what gain-of-function means. You're gaining the function of a poison in a person. That's the definition. They want you to believe it's something else. It's not. The third bullet point or takeaway, he repeatedly played semantics with the definition of gain of function in an attempt to avoid conceding that NIH funded potentially dangerous research in China. The fourth takeaway, Dr. Fauci testified that he signed off on every foreign and domestic NIAID grant without reviewing the proposals. Was that because he had a a, uh, Department of Defense pistol at the back of his head? Probably. The fifth takeaway, a 2020 email previously released by the Select Subcommittee proved Dr. Fauci was aware of dangerous gain-of-function research occurring in Wuhan, China. There we go. Today, he backtracked by arguing he should not have stated that as quote-unquote fact. Now, I don't recall him answering these emails. I just recall him receiving them. So he had to have read them, but I don't know how he actually responded to any of them. Anywho, here's the last takeaway, allegedly. It says Dr. Fauci was unable to confirm if NIAID has any mechanisms to conduct oversight of the foreign laboratories they fund. Well, that's good to know. They don't, (laughs) Fauci doesn't know if NIAID has oversight over these laboratories. How do you not know that? And if he doesn't, and NIAID doesn't, then who does? Department of Defense? CIA? Another three-letter agency? Why is, uh, again, why is this behind closed doors? This sounds a lot like things that he brought up to the actual public. I just don't know why this isn't on camera. So there you go. We're trusting government to provide oversight for government and then spoon feed us answers as to what actually happens without us being able to actually provide the oversight. See, that's supposed to belong to we the people. I thought that was supposed to belong to us. I thought that was our job. Apparently not. Either way, let me bring this up now. And this is interesting. And this right here is a great list that someone created about a year ago where they broke down all of the different studies that have existed for hundreds of years having to do with the lie of virology and the lie of transmission. This was published on Substack on March 7th of 2023, and you can get to this two ways. If you go back on my Substack now, the previous article where I talked about the lie of virology and uh, the reality of poisons, that particular article. At the very bottom of that, I hyperlink this particular article that I'm briefly going to read through. And again, you can get to it that way. It's also, the author's uh, initials here are DLP on Substack, and it apparently is titled here the following, Virology, the Damning Evidence 
the stake in the heart for this pseudoscientific profession. That's the, uh, the title of this particular article. It's very well done, it's lengthy, but it has an awesome timeline bulleted list here on the particular studies regarding, again, the lie of virology and the lie of transmission. So let me dive into this. I'm just going to ring these off kind of as quickly as I can. It says, number one, the Journal of Infectious Disease, and this is from March 1st of 1905, where they reference Chapman in 1801 who tried to transmit measles using the blood, tears, and mucus of the nostrils and bronchia and the eruptive matter in the cuticle without any success. They reference another individual, Willen, in 1809, inoculated three children with vesicle fluids of measles, but without success. And then Albers, in 1834, attempted to infect four children with measles without success. He quoted Alexander Monroe, uh, Bourgeois, and Spray as also having made unsuccessful inoculations with saliva, tears, and cutaneous scales. The next one is Themenin, if I'm saying that right. Themen, rather. There we go. 1817, tried to infect five children with measles. All five, none of the children, all five, became sick. Not a single one. Then it says number two, Charles Creighton in 1837, in the A History of Epidemics in Britain, said, quote, No proof of the existence of any contagious principles by which it was propagated from one individual to another. A few more quotes here, and then I'm going to get into a few more of their studies. Uh, let's see here. Down here it says, I'm going to skip to number six here. It says, Carl Oscar Medin, in 1887, a Swedish pediatrician who was the first to examine a polio outbreak, concluded that it was an infectious but not contagious disease. It says Charles Calvary, in 1894, investigated the first U.S. polio epidemic, saying, quote, it is very certain that it was non-contagious. And then number eight here, a list of studies from the Journal of American Medical Association from 1919, or additionally linked here, and this is actually before 1919, but these were links within. It says, Warchowski from 1895 injected small pigs and rabbits with blood taken in the, in the eruptive stage. All results were negative. Balea in 1896 placed warm nasal mucus and saliva from measles patients on the nasal and oral mucosal membrane of rabbits, guinea pigs, cats, mice, dogs, and lambs, but without any positive results. Josias, in 1898, rubbed measles secretions over the throat, nose, and eyes of several young pigs, but without any effects. Geisler, in 1903, inoculated sheep, swine, Goats, dogs, and cats in various ways with all the bodily fluids from patients with measles, including smearing, spraying, rubbing. All results were negative. Pomjalski, in 1914, injected measles blood into guinea pigs, rabbits, and small pigs. All results were negative. And Gerlunas, in 1914, inoculated blood from patients with measles into suckling pigs and rabbits but without effect. Lagarde in 
in ni- I'm sorry, 1899, was not able to prove a single case of patient-to-patient contagion in a polio outbreak in Norway. Quote, infantile paralysis is of an infectious but not of a contagious nature. As a matter of fact, no indisputable instance of contagion could be proven. I'm telling you, this list is endless. It goes on and on and on. Number 10, Dr. Rotermund in 1901 from his Diary of Smallpox Experiments. For 15 years, he smeared the pus of smallpox patients on his face and used to go home with his family, play cards at the gentlemen's club, and treat other patients and never got sick or saw a single other person get sick. Unquote. Walter Reed, rather famous name, and 1902, quote, without entering into details, I may say that in the first place, the commission saw with some surprise what had so often been noted in the literature that patients in all stages of yellow fever could be cared for by non-immune nurse without danger of contracting the disease. The non-contagious character of yellow fever was, therefore, hardly to be questioned, unquote. I'm telling you, ladies and gentlemen, this list is massive. It's quotes, it's studies, it's results, and it's very, I mean, they're very, very brief here, easily digestible. The list is over, let me see if I can get to the end here. It's over 66 examples of individuals talking about attempting to spread illness from one person to another and it never working, which again proves that poison exists but viruses do not, that there's nothing that's floating around in the air throughout these hundreds of years that is making us ill. It is injected into us, and it is absorbed within us, typically via injection or some other poison that we consume, but that's it. And electromagnetism, of course, that causing disruption of cells. And that leads me to this, and I will conclude with this. Uh, This was tossed to me again by our Michigan business owner as an interesting reminder that 11 months ago on Maria Z's program, she had a FEMA whistleblower who, uh, who again, was claiming to be a FEMA whistleblower. And they were talking about ramping up the 5G and ultimately utilizing the FEMA camps and the other camps that they have created across the world. Certainly there's plenty in the UK and Australia and Canada, and there might be some here as well. But uh, they sent me this and they said that the FEMA whistleblower confirmed our suspicions that the government recently granted the funding for the next pandemic, which will be Ebola or Marburg, quote unquote, and that starting in 2023, FEMA began running a year-long drill for it. They're going to crank up the 5G cell towers to cause illness, specifically in the jabbed, and that will be the virus. And then it says, and in 2006, the DOJ made hospitals part of law enforcement. We are currently under military medical martial law. This is why hospitals can detain people and refuse release. And within those Maria Z talks, Certainly within the actual description itself, it described what they called NPIs, or non-pharmaceutical interventions. So any, any basically way of making a person ill that is not quote-unquote pharmaceutical, so to speak, is 
certainly what they what they have in store, allegedly. I think we're going to have to do our best to stay on top of that and pay attention to that as much as we can. Uh, 5G, of course, is the subject of this show and something that I've brought up with regularity. And that right there, again, I think would certainly hit the jabbed more often than than anyone else. I want to revisit this just very quickly, though. You know, there's always the topic of electromagnetic pulses or EMPs and what that would do, not just, of course, to car batteries and, you know, things of that nature and, and the actual power grid. The question I have is what would an EMP do to somebody who's jabbed? Would such a strong EMP going out, if one actually did go out, would that have a direct impact on on the jabbed? I feel like it would. Common sense, based on everything that we know up to this point, would pretty much dictate that that would be the case. And again, would we know? Or would these individuals just be dropping over? And again, speaking of that, in fact, I'll, I'll end with this, and it really is just the, the blatant hypocrisy at face value. Isn't it astounding the number of people who are sick and how the hospitals are packed to the gills? And yet, people aren't wearing masks and people aren't forcing mask wearing by and large, certainly within any of these public settings anymore. Isn't that interesting? Isn't it interesting that workplaces, even right down to, say, a local chain restaurant, isn't forcing their patrons, so to speak, to, to wear masks upon entry, even though those establishments are having a hard time staffing because their staff are out ill. It seems like that would be the next move that they would have to make, to you know follow the mask lie one more time and bring the masks back out. I just find all of this remarkably hypocritical, and yet we know why, of course, for all of the all of the reasons that we all know. But the very people who went along with the lie the first time apparently are incapable of seeing the hypocrisy of what's happening right now. And yeah, I know they're they're you know blaming the unjabbed and the non-mask wearers as being the problem that we are the cause of their illness. Of course, jokes on them. That's not the case at all. But shouldn't based on, I mean, and shouldn't all these places be shut down just based on the amount of illness that actually exists right now? Certainly seems like it. And yet that's not the case. Interesting. We're going to have to see if this maintains itself in the, in the, coming, uh, in the coming months. Time will tell. Okay, ladies and gentlemen, thank you for listening. I'll catch you on Friday. Peace. Thank you for listening to American Education FM. Make sure and check out AmericanEducationFM.com for more information. Take care and God bless.